Hi. Aloha. Aloha. <laughs> uh, how are you doing? Oh, pretty good. It's uh, We're recording a little earlier in the day than normal, so I don't have to have a thousand fans pointed at me, and that's really nice. Mm, um, yeah. No, yeah. like Beyonce fans. Uh, similarly great. It's cool right now, and I'm really enjoying that. And there's something... There's like a sweetness in the air. There's something nice about it, like morning in Hawaii. Yeah. 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 That's good. For anybody who hasn't heard us before, this is Schmodcast, the podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. And we're actually recording this one a little far in advance, so you're going to hear this in the future. Um, I'm about to be traveling for a bit, so Rebecca and I are doing a couple back-to-back episodes. Um, So... Yeah. Is that you just practicing for the pilots that you're going to be listening to? Exactly. Yeah. No, I just, sometimes my throat is just primed for a good vocal fry and I just got to let it out. You got to let it out. Have have you already shared with everyone uh, about scuttling or, because that's different than vocal fry. Yeah. Scuttle is a different thing and, and I really have to... There's like a perfect amount of like mucus that has mm. to be in my throat mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. me to make the beautiful, the sweet, sweet, beautiful sounds of Scuttle the Seagull from The Little Mermaid. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to attempt it right now, but probably no, no, as no. soon as we hang this up. Yeah. No, I'm just putting it out there as like a future gift for everyone. When when yes. you're feeling like that's happening, you should just share mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe we it could does. even reimagine the ukulele opening with a scuttle version. Oh, with a with a scuttle so that people will be so immediately excited that they'll just have to listen to all the episodes then. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Hands idea. down. All right. Well since we've lost everyone, they know what we're talking about. This this episode is called a hui ho, which is a Hawaiian phrase that just means until we meet again. And so I thought it would be a nice little theme since you're gonna be traveling for yeah. the next several weeks. And, um, and then it, it sort of just inspired some general questions I had for you just to get into it, which is, what is your favorite Hawaiian word or phrase that you've learned so far? <laughs> I love that you think I know enough Hawaiian words or phrases <laughs> to have a favorite. Um, that was a challenging question for me, but um, I did think of an answer. And my favorite ho- Hawaiian word or phrase so far is my kai. Mm. which means good or well done or very good. And the reason I like it is because we started listening, we started watching these um, public television Hawaiian lessons from the, I think, 80s, maybe early 90s. Mm-hmm. This amazing woman named Ekela. And she was so encouraging, like, even just through the TV. I mean, obviously it wasn't truly interactive because this was just something recorded and put on TV In all of her lessons. She'd be like, do you know this one? And then she'd pause and she'd say, my kai. Very good. <laughs> my kai. So I really like that. That's so nice. Yeah. What's yours? Mine right now, or at least today is, um, malama aina, which just means malama means to take care of or care for something. And then aina is the word for land. And I just really like the, there's a ton of like grocery stores and restaurants and things in the area. You'll just see a poster of it. Um, I love how much emphasis there is in taking care of the, the land and the people around you. Yeah. That's mine. Yeah. Malama aina. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure as we become more, um, how you say fluent, um, we'll learn more phrases and words that we, we can share. I do like for anybody who hasn't spent much time in Hawaii, it's really, um, it's cool. There's a, a basically a Spanglish kind of a thing going on where there's of course the actual Hawaiian language and then there's pigeon. Um, and then there's, just people who speak English that sprinkle in Hawaiian words with it. Um, mm-hmm. Hawaiian words that there isn't, especially when there isn't really an equivalent for them in English. And it's really nice. Yeah. Yeah. I even find that with um, the word pal, P-A-U. Even though mm-hmm. it means finish or end, people use it to signal like the end of a work day. But they don't tie it to a specific time because like I think a mm-hmm. little more like island time or culturally it's less of a like at 4.15 this event is going to happen. But they'll just say like pow, like like at the end of the work day. Like when are we going to meet up? They just say like pow. Like just sort of this like 
gives you a really long window of time if you're trying to actually meet someone, which can be a little mm. bit difficult for people who are like, maybe like you and I, that are just rehabbing off of our East Coast life. <laughs> <laughs> but I like the idea of it, and that's certainly the spirit of what you're talking about. There's not really an equivalent, because they don't mean 4.15. They mean just like, whenever I get done, I'll see you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, pal. Well, cool. Anyway, I'm glad to know that, and we'll, I'll check in later to find out if you have a new updated favorite phrase. Yeah. So cruising on, directing, that's me this episode. Uh, connects and corrects. I wanted to share, uh, we got a great email from Maddie, also from Book Club. Yeah, Book Club. Hey, Maddie. Hey, Book Club. Uh, she says she binged the Schmodcast on her train rides uh, this past weekend, and it was such a delight. Thank you. And it was so fun to hear our voices and learn more about our chickens, composting, retirement living options, and rain turtles. And that she, nice. of course, loved the book club shout out. So here's another one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're so appreciative that they inspired us to actually do this. And I'm tickled that they're, yeah. they're still supporting us all these years later. We got another connect from our friend Clara, Clara in France, um, who says that we both have voices for radio. Oh, la Thank la. you so much. And that our joyful banter was wonderful company while she was running errands with her baby. Mm. So I love I love that. You know, I, I keep plugging that I, I think podcasts are a great thing to listen to while you do chores, while you're like driving somewhere and um, going on a walk. So I like knowing that some, some folks are using this podcast in that way. Clara also added Viva PLPs which I could not agree more, Clara. Yes. Wait. (laughs) (laughs) And then our final um, connects and corrects is that we do have, it's not recorded yet, so this is going to be added in later. Sorry, y'all. I don't know exactly what this next clip is going to entail yet, but um, I'm going to have a call with my friend Nat, who has her own earliest childhood memory or birth story to share with us. So we'll have that. Yeah. So actually, let's just pretend that we already do have it recorded. (laughs) Say goodbye to all of you now and turn it over to that clip. Nat, oh my God, hi. Hello. How are you today? Oh man, it's been a pretty good Tuesday, I have to say. Yeah. Yeah, it's so crisp and fall-like, and the colors are beautiful in the air, so it's hard to be sad over here in Western North Carolina, for sure. Well, thank you so much for being our first guest on Schmodcast. I'm so excited. Yes. We're super delighted. And you mentioned that um, that you might like to respond to one of our previous prompts about your first memory or your birth story. So my birth story, so I'm their first. And so my parents were just so excited and elated. And I actually came really early. Mm. I the preemie and uh, my, <laughs> my mom tells me this is, I think the funniest part about my birth story is that my mom tells me that, you know, she started getting contractions. So she went in, nothing was really happening. So <clears throat> they sent her back home and she's walking mm-hmm. there. When her water broke, it was like, okay. Uh-huh. Um, and just before that being sent home, the doctor said, you know, I think maybe you should walk around the preemie care and, you know, take a look just to know like what you're might be in for, you know, not oh, to, wow. her, but just to like, I guess, prepare her. Um, the funny story is, is, you know, she got sent home, was walking on room. She came in with dad everyone's so excited and I came really quick but uh she said that she didn't get to the part in her Lamaze classes of her birth class <laughs> uh, to, uh that you had to push and so uh-huh. she had yeah that she had to push me out <laughs> mm. and um so she you know the nurse coached her through it and, you know, told her that she had to push. And my mom said that, uh, you know, I started to get stressed at the end mm. and the doctor came out of the corner she was just kind of washing everything. And then I, you know, put out some stress. She came out of the corner and said, all right, you're going to push that baby. Like it's a watermelon and you're going to splat it against that wall. <laughs> Your mom's 
like, I'm going to splat my baby against the wall. <laughs> and so mom says she pushed two more times and I came out. <laughs> wow. She really took it seriously. She was like, oh, okay. Watermelon. I know how to do that. Let's go. Wow. I always find that funny. And I also find it charming that I cost nothing except for the long distance phone call to my grandparents here in North Carolina. Uh, <laughs> it's really tiny and I just have to stay like under the Billy Rubin lights. I have like these little baby pictures, with, like huge glasses and little like mittens on my fingers. And uh-huh. yeah, but uh, that's the story of my wow. Well, I mean, to some degree, I guess your mom was probably pretty grateful that you were so teeny tiny yeah. since she didn't know about the pushing part. <laughs> made it maybe a little bit easier if you were smaller. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. But I also find it uh, an interesting fact because you guys love to talk about astrology yes. here. Um, is that I was born a Leo, which I, you know is very me. If you know me, Leo, I think is very just works for you. Okay. I have gotten older and my due date would have been a Virgo (gasps) gotten older I relate to Virgo way more those traits and characteristics than I used to as how interesting adolescent me yeah I know right do you know what your rising sign is I is it I want to say it's either Libra or Gemini but I don't okay Because I wonder if that's also part of it, if maybe your rising sign or your moon sign is something that you kind of relate to more than your sun sign. This would be a really interesting um, study Mm -hmm. um, for for preemies and or um, people with scheduled cesareans like me. If our birthdays end up on the cusp of something. Mm -hmm. So I'm solidly Virgo, like I'm born in the middle of Virgo season, like even if they had given my mom a different date for her cesarean, I probably would have been a Virgo. But I wonder for people who are born like right between signs, like <laughs> if they actually identify with one or the other a little bit more. Uh-huh. Gotta do some research, Nat. Done. We'll we'll stick it in the pocket for later. Yeah. Well, social science, I ask my friends, you ask your friends, and we talk about it. And that's that's science. Yeah. don't tell any of my graduate school professors that I just said that that was social science it's not social science is a real science people look it up (laughs) well thanks so much Nat I really appreciate you being our schmodcast guest totally that was an amazing clip yeah we are (laughs) back (laughs) also amazing audio editing i'm sure um to make this all go together seamlessly seamless transitions nobody could even tell which is why i verbalized that that was a transition (laughs) amazing skills rachel our editor thank you so much much. (laughs) well are you ready to get into some hot tops oh i love a hot top you know i do Mm. Well, I'm going to get into mine, actually, because I'm really excited to talk to you about it. Sort of picture me as a news anchor, because I think this is really important for us to (sighs) Channel 9 News with Rebecca Lammers. Over to you, Rebecca. Thanks, Rachel. Okay, so listen up. I, I have a couple of sources. One is the Washington Post, and the other one is Fox News, bipartisan. (laughs) And (laughs) the main thing I wanted to share. Is it bipartisan if it's just both partisans? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Partisan. Oh, yeah. Multi-partisan. I just, just, yeah. So I've been um, seeing some headlines that I haven't been clicking on or reading about. um, Let's just call them youngsters coming up with like really creative ways to protest um, big oil and some of the the, like anti-environmental things that are going on. So trying to get attention for climate change and actually changing the way our corporate or corporations are behaving. There's been some like really weird stuff happening and I haven't really understood like if it's an effective strategy. So I decided to do some research. And the main thing for anybody who doesn't know what I'm talking about because I just like really buried the lead is uh, recently there were a couple of protesters against big oil that threw tomato soup on Van Gogh painting the sunflowers one. Oh, yeah. And um, 
the the headline for from the Washington Post I really liked was why climate protests are getting weirder. So that's an excellent title. I clicked immediately. <laughs> Congratulations. Wapo. Weirder compared to what? I feel like there's been some really weird protests in our lifetimes, but okay. Yeah, so and that's actually what's so interesting about this. Uh, there's a professor of sociology at the University of Maryland named Dana Fisher who calls this development in um, protests tactical innovation. And the idea is that all these protesters are trying new strategies to get increased media attention because the consumers or like other like um, publications are basically getting fatigued with the normal types of activism. We've had so many mm. marches and sit-ins Petitions. and those used to be huge attention mm-hmm. getters. And now people are starting to like they're like writing them off as old news or not paying attention to it because we've been so overwhelmed with that form of protest that now climate protesters in particular are trying to innovate. Um, a couple years back, there started to be a big emphasis on blocking freeways and like blocking commuters from using their cars. Um, the problem with that is that doesn't usually change actual minds or hearts or affect policy. It just like ruins those people's day and gets attention yeah. for attention's sake. And um, so some people actually are now turned off by the climate movement because that, like, yeah, I was just going to say, it's their like, day. not always all press is good press. Like, you could actually turn people against your cause if they're if they think you're you've got like an immature or annoying message. Right. And there was also like a rush. There's a group called the Tire Extinguishers in the UK, and they let the air out of SUV tires all over New York and the UK. Oh, my God. Because they're like, those vehicles use more gas and are more harmful to pedestrians and cyclists, so they get targeted. Oh, my God. Again, it's like not necessarily obvious if you are the person who have that SUV, you come out for like to get in your car and all the air's been let out. You don't know that it's because of the climate. You're just like some hooligans let the air out of my tire. Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, here's my so so the the kids. They're probably adults. The <laughs> they um, threw tomato soup on the painting, and and that's a like another like this all started because a few months ago people started gluing themselves to artwork or near artwork, oh, and I hadn't heard anything me about neither. this. And that was gluing you know, themselves. It was sensational, but but then somehow we missed it, so it wasn't that sensational. So yeah. now they're upping the ante, and they threw the tomato soup because the video itself looks like they're ruining artwork. But there, yeah. are all these all these arts are behind glass, y'all. So don't worry. The museum said it just ruined the frame, but the art is fine. And um, so now they're so they're going viral with these videos because it obviously looks like they're ruining the art. And then those same gals, actually, they threw the tomato soup, and then they still glued themselves to the wall underneath, which I'm Ah. like, ow. Well, here's the best one. Fox News update. Here's how they're escalating now. The new thing is called milk pouring, and teens all over the place, mostly in UK, I can't wait for this to start in the US, are pouring milk out in grocery stores in order to raise awareness about dairy production emissions. They're saying that um, the but dairy how industry. Does that help? Wait a minute, though. Like, if they're pouring the milk out to protest dairy emissions, but if you pour out enough milk, it just means dairy farmers will need to like produce more milk. Have you ever heard of the Tea Party, though? Like the Boston Tea Party? Yeah, the Boston Tea Party. Yeah. Exactly. So they took all the tea and they poured it in the harbor. Also, same story. Like, what happened to all those people? Well, they were protesting the taxes on the tea. But they ruined it and people didn't get to enjoy the tea. Well, but what I'm saying about the milk in particular (laughs) is that what they're angry about is how much methane is produced by the cows in order to make milk. But if Mm -hmm. you pour out enough of that milk... We will need more cows to keep up with the demand for milk, thereby increasing methane emissions. I mean, it's the same sort of logical and linear argument that I also don't think throwing soup on a painting, painting. an oil painting, bites big oil. But it is getting attention. It's getting attention. We go into grocery stores and we punch holes in all the milk bottles or whatever. Okay. Yeah, and I don't actually support it because there's some poor poor person at the grocery store whose job it is to clean up this mess and then and you know what else there's some consumer who now the cost the price of milk went up because the supply went down 
and it's not impacting demand. So there's consumers that like need that milk for whatever reason, and it's mm-hmm. going to be more expensive for them. Yeah. And so there, the, the big argument here is that the dairy industry, I didn't know this, is incredibly environmentally destructive. Oh, yeah. It, the, which I guess makes sense because of the, the cows itself, right? There's just yeah. too many cows. They're saying that the world's top five meat and dairy corporations are now responsible for more gl- greenhouse gas emissions than Exxon, Shell, or BP. Yeah, I believe it. Cows are the worst. Yeah. They're the biggest problem. This is why we don't eat beef if we can help it. Is it? It's mostly because they're farts, right? It creates yep. like a lot of methane gas problems. Yep. And, and the, the scale because of how much meat or how much beef we require. Yeah. I mean, it's also just not – my understanding is that like besides the methane, which is the biggest problem, they're just also not a very um, – efficient form of uh protein and calories because you have to grow all this stuff to feed the cows for however many years to get them big enough to eat when you could just you could use the same use resources that you use to grow that food for the cows and just grow food that you're gonna eat yeah cut out the middleman or the middle cow yeah the middle cow just cut out the middle cow people (laughs) that's all you gotta do yeah i yeah, I. This is going to be the episode of catchphrases. I'm just realizing. Viva PLPs. Cut out the middle cow. We're on a roll. It's so good. I mean, and you did start it <laughs> off by being like, "What's your favorite Hawaiian phrase?" So we're really in that catchphrase mentality. I'm just so. I'm a witch, like in a good way. <laughs> yeah. I'm, yeah. Well, so I think it's silly. I I imagine the best way to do it is to actually figure out a viable alternative for people, much like because consumers aren't buying milk because they're evil. They're buying it because it goes in a lot of recipes. It's delicious. There's a lot of reasons that we like milk. Yeah. And so um, spilling it all over the grocery store is probably not the answer, but I bet the videos are hilarious. Oh, we got to watch some of those videos. I definitely want to see the soup on the painting as well. And what I understand is that the environment is fixed now because, like, these efforts just really did their job, right? Well, as, as I recall, you you kicked this whole podcast off by telling me that the reef was growing back, the Great Barrier Reef was coming back, yep. and we closed that ozone hole, yep. like, decades ago. So, so. What's everybody freaking out about? Chill. I guess it's all fine. Yeah. yeah. Nothing's on fire. <laughs> well, Excellent. probably a lot of stuff is on fire, but not right now. Uh, so that's it. That's my hot top. Cool. Well, my hot top is not as um, obviously related to yours as it sometimes is, but I'm going to make <gasps> it related. Are you ready? Yeah, please. I want to talk about ADHD. And it's peripherally related to your topic because part of what you're describing is that, like, activists have had to find new tactics because they're not able to capture our attention with their old tactics. And part of that, I think, is that we're just, like, in this TikTok world now where everything Mm -hmm. is, like, a mile a minute. It's, like, a thousand things that you see every second of the day. And if you don't see that many, you can't get any dopamine from it anymore. Yeah. Can you imagine like MLK having to rethink his letters from that like Alabama jail? Like because they're all long form and they're beautiful and they're so insightful, but they would never make it here. Like nobody Nobody would get past the first. Yeah. Would pay attention to it long enough. Yeah. Yeah. Even now we've like reduced a lot of his speeches to just we all know I have a dream and nothing else. (laughs) <laughs> all all the like history and stories that we consume yeah there everything is truncated now we have very short attention spans and so i wanted to talk about um there's an uptick in diagnosing adult women with adhd and you and i have talked about this before but i did a little extra research into why that is and i wanted to start by giving some context about why i'm interested is mm-hmm. because i'm I feel pretty confident that I have some type of an attention related neurodivergence that was never diagnosed growing up. And that was maybe even used to my advantage. Like I, I'm Mm -hmm. a great multitasker and part of that's because I have a hard time focusing. Um, but, um, there's also a lot of people, there's an overdiagnosis happening right now too. So Mm. let's just get straight into this. So, so one of the things I read about is that basically women and girls are, have the same ADHD symptoms as men and boys. It's not that the 
that our bodies respond to this neurodivergence differently. It's that because of the way we are um, acculturated and the norms that are expected of us based on our genders, we be we we act on those neurodivergences a little bit differently, and our behaviors are interpreted differently. So mm. culture leads to boys with ADHD to be more impulsive and hyperactive and for adults mm -hmm. to see that and say that's called ADHD mm -hmm. whereas for girls they find that the symptoms are that we are seen as extra talkative overly social and forgetful these tend to be the ways ADHD shows up in girl children versus boy children or at least the way we're interpreting their behaviors and so you see well, a girl uh-huh I was just going to say it's it's where um, we're reporting the outliers based on like what we think their normal behavior is based on their gender. Right. And so if you yeah. see a, a little girl who's like extra talkative and super social, your first thought isn't, wow, she has ADHD. Right. right. Um, and part she of that is, seems cool. I want to be her friend. Or just you're like, God, she's <laughs> annoying. She's doing this girl thing that girls do where they like won't stop talking. Mm -hmm. without thinking about like, is she able to control that impulse? Where is that impulse coming from? Is it destructive to her in any way? And like, how can we work with her on that? Um, some other symptoms that tend to happen for men and women um, that I identify with and that got me started on this whole, like maybe I have ADHD journey is having a really hard time listening. Like sometimes I'm, I'm able to I have to use all my energy to demonstrate that I'm listening with my body and mm -hmm. that I'm, I'm not able to actually listen at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, most people with ADHD have a hard time with sustained mental effort, which makes sense why a lot of people start and stop projects very easily. Like I'm extremely decisive and efficient. And I think those qualities come from that. I'm not really able and willing to like, put up uh, a sustainable amount of mental effort and keep it going consistently. I'm not very yeah. consistent. Mm -hmm. And part of that comes from um, a craving novelty, like mm -hmm. needing these dopamine bursts from something being new and different um, procrastination. And I want to be clear. Most of these qualities are things that anyone may exhibit at different times in their life. It's not to say that, Oh, well I also have a hard time listening. I definitely have ADHD or like, Rachel, everyone has a hard time listening. That doesn't mean you have ADHD. You'd need an actual diagnosis from a professional to determine whether whether the these qualities are happening in you in an abnormal way, in a destructive way, mm -hmm. um, or if it's just the normal amount of, I have a hard time keeping up with projects or whatever. And just, I guess, what, what, um, what impact does that have on your life, right? Yeah. Like, is it difficult for you to accomplish the goals that you have or do the things that you want to do or do you like how how you walk the earth right is yeah. it is it more uncomfortable for you because you're an outlier in yeah. these ways right and like is there something we could do that would help help improve that for you too mm -hmm. right because mm -hmm. i think like i said i think in some ways these qualities that i know about myself are a superpower but they're also like extremely uncomfortable and it's a little bit like not to make adhd sound super negative but like a functional alcoholic <laughs> might deny that they're an alcoholic because they haven't lost their job and they still have relationships with people and their liver right. hasn't failed them yet but that doesn't mean that that's not still a problem or that their life might not be better without the alcoholism, right? Yeah, and even using that, um, that is this a metaphor or a simile? Whatever version, simile, I don't know, this analogy, that's what it is. It's just yeah. a regular analogy, everybody. Yep. Um, that comparison is <laughs> really interesting, though, and apt because what you're highlighting is that you've done some time, you spend some time thinking about what does this look like in the long term? If I don't like try to like come up with new coping strategies or adapt the way that things are happening or ask the world to adapt for me, like it may end up being like more difficult for you in the future. Yeah. Like this functional alcoholic, they may not have lost their job today, but they might be on track to like, well, have these I, consequences. I think for me, one of the other, um, it's not a symptom of ADHD, but a co-occurring 
co-occurring, a concurrent <laughs> problem mm. can be anxiety and or depression. And mm -hmm. so I think for me, what's interesting about this, like thinking more about an ADHD, a potential ADHD diagnosis is that um, I also struggle with anxiety and depression. And I've been working on those two things a lot throughout the course of my life. But what mm -hmm. if one of the main root causes of that is a neurodivergence where some of right. the normal tools a person would use for anxiety and depression aren't working for me because I struggle with the, with attention with, and by the way, also ADHD does not mean that you, this is the other thing I, I didn't understand before I started watching a million TikToks about it is that <laughs> it doesn't necessarily mean the person is never able to focus. It's about mm -hmm. not being able to, com to completely predict, rely on or control how much you're focusing. So sometimes you're yeah. hyper focused and you cannot help it. And other times you are not able to focus and you cannot help it. So that I think mm -hmm. was also confusing for me because I actually can get super hyper focused, but it usually comes with a number of other ADHD type symptoms, bouncing, fidgeting, chewing on your lips. I cannot sit in the same position for long periods of time. I cannot go on a, um, a guided tour at a museum. That's my worst fucking nightmare to be expected. <laughs> like truly Rebecca, like as a young person, I went on so many of those tours and I felt like I was going insane. I thought there was something wrong with me. It's like mm -hmm. really cannot focus in that environment and I'm fidgeting and I'm walking around and I'm looking and then I start getting frustrated. Like what the fuck is wrong with everybody else that you're still listening? Like we can't mm -hmm. meetings that last longer than an hour. I'm like, how is everyone still here I cannot right. listen anymore I can't do right. it um, and some of this I thought as a young person I think I'm also just realizing this as an adult because when I was younger I forced myself into those boxes because I had to and now that I have a little bit more autonomy a little more clout I'm not mm -hmm. I'm not willing to put up with as much of that discomfort as I was when I was younger um I know I've got a lot of info on this. So just like a couple other little things, because the, the, um, the article that I'm reading is from the skim, which I love. They do like a, a weekly, uh, a daily newsletter. And then they have like some of these deep dives and they've got mm -hmm. this article that says, wondering if you have ADHD because of TikTok. read this first. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, yes, that's exactly why I'm wondering. Cause I've seen all these videos that describe my symptoms. For example, I always have a song playing in the back of my head, literally all the time. It's the mm -hmm. same song on repeat until a new song creeps in. I'm sure there's other people that have this going on. And I think that it's a little bit like extra for me compared to like a normal person. Mm -hmm. um, I am not actually particularly clumsy, but an ADHD thing is, is that you like run into things with some frequency because you kind of lose the object permanence when you're having yeah, trouble you're... focusing. Uh-huh. Yeah. And my whole life I've been like, yeah, I have these like random bruises that I don't remember what I ran into or when it happened. Mm-hmm. Um, auditory sensitivity, a noise that didn't used to bother me. All of a sudden, one day I'll be hearing it and I can't stop hearing it and it's driving me fucking crazy like a specific chewing noise or a tapping noise or you've seen me mm -hmm. do it sometimes where I'm like what's that what's that thing that just turned on and it's like Rachel it's the dishwasher it's been on for right. five minutes yeah yeah um, I just I can't help because of of my own narcissism I'm like hearing this checklist being like nope not me not me not me and I know that's why you're sharing it so that I can uh, decide if I have ADHD yeah that's why I'm doing it is for you to do a symptoms checklist yeah, so I just wanted to jump in with a quick update. No. no, 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 no. And then this last one, I was like, maybe, but not in the same way. I just don't like. Well, um, I don't like multiple different types of noises happening simultaneously. The the cacophony stuff. Yeah, it, I, I find it really difficult to concentrate. But I don't think that counts. So I don't think I have ADHD. I yet. think I think that's actually also like the fact that you consistently dislike that is a sign of not having ADHD. Cause I think the problem for me is that it comes and goes. It there changes. are times, oh. there are times I cannot focus without music on in the background. And there are times that the music in the background is making me 
crawl out of my skin and I have to turn mm-hmm. it off because it's about it's about like weather and how you can just like direct your brain onto and, a, a topic and control where your attention is going yes yeah yeah mm. yeah so anyway this this amazing article on the skin just reminds you that one of the reasons ADHD is like trending now is that it's becoming more destigmatized which is awesome mm-hmm. but that's also leading to some misinformation So there's all these online health companies offering you diagnosis and prescriptions for things like ADHD. And some of them have come under big scrutiny for, for just, these are, you know, impactful treatment plans. So you really need to be under the care of a, a professional who actually interacts with you and monitors your symptoms and helps you come up with the best solution. Not just somebody who's like, Oh, you said you had a hard time concentrating, take some Adderall. Here you go. Well, and I wonder too, if, I mean, this, these drugs may not be as like physically or addictive or even as damaging as like the opioid crisis, but it is kind of having some similar similarities when it comes to like the zeitgeist right now like they're like people are very aware of adhd and like its prevalence is increasing and people are to your point like starting to self-diagnose or ask or advocate for themselves to get these types of drugs um i could imagine there being like a huge uptick then in the types of drugs that get offered to treat the symptoms of adhd becoming like well and maybe even just maybe even just like jumping to a pharmaceutical solution is also a sign of like the increased issues with attentiveness and mm-hmm. um in in our culture right now where which is that and i'm i'm a huge um i do this myself like i'm to blame for this as well that it's like Ugh, this thing is bothering me i want someone else to give me something to fix it mm-hmm. because without doing any of the initial sort of maybe if i try this it'll help first maybe just being aware of it will help me maybe i have some coping strategies we're just, right. we're just like, I'll find someone online to prescribe me Adderall and that's going to fix my life. And it can actually make it much worse. So you got to talk to a professional, get actually evaluated. Don't just take a survey online and decide that you have it. Um, <laughs> we got to talk to someone who can diagnose you. And then um, two of the, the two like main ways to manage it are through medication is one of them. And the other one is behavioral therapy. You can actually find out more about how your brain works. If you're neurodivergent, you could be meeting with a therapist or counselor who helps you develop tools. Um, or by working with that person, you could determine that some type of a medication, a homeopathic or a pharmaceutical solution mm-hmm. might, might help you with that. But yeah, that's my, that's my hot top ADHD, babe. Yeah, that was that was really good. Thanks for sharing all of that with <laughs> You're me. Welcome. Some of it I knew, but just to have that context too is really interesting. Yeah. Do you think TikTok causes ADHD? <laughs> no. <laughs> I and I think that's probably maybe um maybe TikTok and just like our online and consumer culture right now is causing many of us without actual neurodivergence to display some of those same behaviors or symptoms. Mm -hmm. But I believe Mm -hmm. my understanding is that what makes it different is if you have ADHD, it is not caused by environmental factors. It is how your brain works and it may be exacerbated by environmental factors or masked by environmental factors. Right. Kind of same ideas like, strobing lights can cause people who are predisposed to have seizures to have seizures. The yes. strobing lights don't make didn't give you epilepsy. Yeah. It didn't give you epilepsy, yeah. but it might trigger a seizure. Exactly. Like Instagram and, and or Instagram and TikTok could be an excellent tool for a person who has ADHD because their brain's already going a mile a minute anyway. And this gives you these quick dopamine bursts and it helps you feel a little bit more normal. Whereas yeah. those tools are more destructive for a person who is not neurodivergent who is typically mm-hmm. very able to focus and has lost some of that ability because they're doing too much online scrolling. Yeah. I know the second one is me for sure. I don't mm. I don't really like to scroll social media at all or if I do it's rare cuz I get like a sense of 
what's a light version of dread? I don't know the word for that, but I get like, I get really uncomfortable because what I want to do is focus on the thing that's in front of me. And the way all of these are set up is like multiple different inputs and you don't, and I don't, I, I can't, I can't handle it. I start having a weird FOMO while I'm scrolling. I don't, I don't like like that at all. Scrolling is like the solo, like the, the seated version of what I described on a previous episode about how I watch television. Which is that I'm up, down, all around, now this, now mm-hmm. that, go over here, stop the show, go do something else, replay the show, rewind it 10 minutes, rewatch the same episodes, sip, skip forward two episodes. Like, that's happening when I'm just sitting alone with my phone. And, and that's also that's also what's happening when I'm trying to do other tasks. When I, mm-hmm. when I allow myself to just actually, like, flow, mm-hmm. I'm basically completely scattered in a way that and feels that, good to me. But it's I get, soothing for you. It's and soothing. For me, that's anxiety inducing. Yeah. I, exactly. I can do a little bit of that for a while, but not that's not my default. Yeah. All. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Uh-huh. Well, cool. I um I'm okay, well I'm not gonna take a quiz about whether or not I have ADHD. <laughs> but I mean I you do. can just like don't diagnose yourself afterwards. The same way that I'm like I'm describing that I I am ADHD curious because I feel like mm-hmm. I a lot of these check boxes for me, but I haven't been diagnosed, so I'm not going to tell people I am ADHD or mm-hmm. I have ADHD because I don't know yeah, that for sure. You're never going to be ADHD, but you could be a person with ADHD. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I don't have like a smooth way to segue, but I wanted to take us to our outro since we finished our hot topics or hot tops and uh, just circle back to my fun phrase theme and ask, what's your favorite quote or phrase or just something that's on your mind that's like become a mantra? It can be in any language, but you will have to translate it if it's not English for me. Yeah. I think I kind of misunderstood the question and I prepared an answer to this, like very similar to the intro, which is just like, what's one of my favorite words or phrases in another language? So, Oh yeah, yeah. please, please share. And, but if you don't tell me what it means, then I'm going to try to Google it. Well, you know, this one already, I'm excited to be able to start saying inshallah on the, on the podcast. So you gave me a great opportunity to tell any listener who's never heard the word inshallah it's Arabic. It's commonly used throughout the Arabic speaking world and, and the Muslim communities around the world, even if they're not Arabic speakers, just means God willing. And Mm -hmm. we don't have an exact equivalent for it in English. I love it because it acknowledges our lack of control. So when someone says like, would you like to like, are we going to have dinner together tomorrow? Your response can be inshallah. Which means like, yes, like if God wills it to happen, we will have Mm -hmm. dinner together tomorrow. And you can use it in a sort of yes, no, or maybe (laughs) as well. (laughs) There's an inshallah that is like, and the word is always the same. It's just that your meaning behind it is different. But so, so if you say, are we having dinner together tomorrow? I could say inshallah in a way that means I very much want to have dinner with you. I have set aside the time. I am planning to come have dinner with you. Yes, we're having dinner tomorrow unless something goes wrong and we're not able to meet. So inshallah, we're having dinner tomorrow. Mm-hmm. There's also an inshallah that's kind of a no where it's you're like, are we having dinner tomorrow? And I'm like, I didn't put it on my calendar. I don't really feel like it. I'm not going to make myself show up for dinner with you, but I acknowledge <laughs> That something could happen that basically forces me to come. So, like, mm-hmm. if God wills it, then, like, inshallah, I'll come for dinner tomorrow. But I'm not going to try really hard to come. And and how do you know when someone means it one way or the other? Is oh, it like I have a to ask tone? them. I have okay. to ask them. Well, you can kind of sense from somebody's tone. Body language is a big part of this. And mm-hmm. follow-up questions. Um, but sometimes when somebody gives me, like, an inshallah no... I have to say, like, is this a, like, you really don't want to and you just don't want to say no kind of a Mm -hmm. situation? What kind of an inshallah is this? And they tell you? Do they fess up or they just keep keep saying, I don't know, inshallah? It really depends how close we are with each other and how deeply embedded this cultural norm is. Like, because when somebody's saying inshallah when they want to say no, there's usually, Mm -hmm. like, a strong reason that they're not comfortable saying no. 
So right. me just being like, would you just say no if you mean no won't always tip them over to be like, you caught me. Yeah, this is a no. You got I'm, me. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Um, that's, it's so fascinating too. Cause I, I remember when I first heard that phrase and there's, there's other phrases in other different cultures and languages that mean the same thing. And it is the opposite of like basically being an American. Cause we have all of these, like definitely like hundred percent, I'll be there. Like there's uh-huh. just all of, it's all absolutes. Um, so much of what we, the way we communicate in English or in American English is these absolutes. And we have we exercise a lot of control over our environments and when we don't get what we want we go 10 out of 10 angry and so i like the idea of it being yeah you're just constantly acknowledging that there are there are things external to us that even with the best of intentions they may not happen but it there's if you're practicing it right it can be like really humble and beautiful but I could also see it being really frustrating to just yeah. always be like, yeah. I don't know, what's the point? Who knows? Maybe, Well, maybe and not. kind of <laughs> passive, right? Like, I do think that, like, American culture causes us to overemphasize how much agency we have. Mm-hmm. But then also, like, there are there are times when I'm also frustrated with, with people not wanting to take responsibility for, like, like, I've had this, like, lighthearted conversation with friends who use inshallah as a no that mm-hmm. I have to be like, yeah, but like, if you have the choice, you're going to put one foot in front of the other and actually walk over here and come do this thing with me. <laughs> like, you're like, still the one who's going to have to put your pants on and go out the door and pay attention <laughs> to, you know, notice what time it is and come like, God's not going to literally come pluck you up out of bed and bring you to the event. Are you going right. to try to make it happen or not? Right, yeah. right, right. Yeah, is it a priority is, like, yeah. another... Yeah, how hard are you going to try? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Such a good one. And you did mm-hmm. not misunderstand the assignment. That was perfect. Oh, okay, good. I was more just wanting to make sure it was clear that you couldn't just, like, say a phrase in one of the many languages that you speak and then just not tell and me what it meant. And then stop, yeah. They'd be like, that's okay. it. That's all we know. Hakuna <laughs> Matata, just move on. At I know end. that one, though. Um, that was so good. So, um... Similar but different. Um, one of the one of the phrases that I one of my favorite phrases, um, which actually I learned from this ridiculous book, Eat, Pray, Love, is Dolce Far Niente, which is an Italian mm. phrase that means the sweetness of doing nothing. The book doesn't do like the best job of actually explaining what it is, but that's okay. We forgive her because she introduced me to it and I, I really loved it. Are you going to um, do a better job explaining it now? I'm going to try. Inshallah, inshallah. I will do a better job. That's Thank a good you. use of inshallah because we can't know for sure whether yours is better or worse than the other person's. You're just mm-hmm. saying like, I'm going to do my best and leave the rest to your best. Forget the rest. Forget the rest. Be blessed or whatever. Shukran. Thank yeah. you. So it means the sweetness of doing nothing. And it's not to say that you're being lazy. It's really about um, putting yourself in a, uh, like, mostly outside. We think of the classic Italian, like, at a cafe, just sitting in a chair, watching people walk by and, and smiling sweetly to themselves. Like, that little vignette is the sweetness of doing nothing. It's Mm. about getting out of your own head, uh, being still and like Mm. recognizing your, our small place in this beautiful, huge universe, but like actually enjoying that you are doing nothing but enjoying. Mm -hmm. So it's a fine line and I find it a little bit elusive because the way that I, well, you and I never do nothing, basically. Even if we're sitting still and quiet, it's often because we're just looking at our internal to-do lists and thinking about all the stuff we need to do yeah. and constantly triaging. And so I find it to be um, sort of like a one of my little guiding lights. that I, I It's a practice that I want to get better at, to be able mm-hmm. to sit in stillness. And not not that it's meditating, but it is just being, you're just enjoying life and doing nothing. Um. And there's actually a Hawaiian like phrase that's similar to that one. That's uh, it's called hamau, and it means be quiet. But the idea behind it is that you want to get to a place where you can quiet all of the outside distractions as well as your own like internal monologues, because the um, ancient Hawaiians believe like your your path and your purpose is like deeply rooted inside each person. 
And so you have to be quiet in order to hear that and to Mm -hmm. be able to like tap into. Um, So unless you like take your time and hush all the outside noise, that's the only time that you can, uh, your intuition can speak to you Mm -hmm. basically. So that's what they mean with Hamal, be quiet. And I don't, they're not exactly the same, but I I think they're rooted in a similar concept Mm -hmm. for me. Yeah. That's beautiful. And I just got so much anxiety thinking about sitting still and being quiet. So again, I'm not going to make you do it. I need to explore the ADHD stuff a little more because that sounds like a torture to me. (laughs) But what, I don't know if this has ever happened to you. I only have little flashes of it where you're, I mean, it's happened where I'm, it's almost like what I imagine the runner's high is, is like, there's some moment where you break through our normal day-to-day humdrum crap and like the stuff that distracts us and you move into this space of just like gratitude and simple joy and you just have like a tiny little smirk on your face and nothing in your head like you're just you are in that exact present moment and you're not thinking about the past and doing something different or better or the future and kind of anxious or like anticipating something you're just right where you are enjoying yourself yeah I don't I don't know if I've ever experienced it exactly in the way that you're describing right now, but Mm. I feel like I have to be doing something to get to that. So like playing ultimate Frisbee does that for me because Mm -hmm. while I'm playing Frisbee, I cannot be doing anything else. And I get to a sense of like peace and comfort and joy, but I, it's not, it doesn't come to me when I'm just sitting still. I don't think. Yeah. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. So that's that's I my phrase, it. and it's not say the phrase. Say the phrase again. Dolce far niente. Okay. The sweetness of doing nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, oh, well, it's great schmodcasting with you. Let's see. We'll we'll get this all put together and published one of these days, and then maybe we'll be able to record another one while I'm traveling. Or if not, there will be a couple weeks of of no new episodes for our many adoring fans. Uh, but yeah. we will be back eventually, y'all. Inshallah. Ahui ho. Until Ahui we meet ho. again. <laughs> Comment on Schmodcast the Podcast on Instagram. Schmodcast the Podcast at gmail.com. Schmodcast starts with S C H M O D. Schmodcast. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's it. Did I miss anything? No, I think we nailed it. Nailed it. All right. <laughs> Beep, bop, boop, 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 boop. Beep, 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 bop, boop. <laughs>